0: Hey there, it's Kelly from Zinimi. Before we get started on today's episode, I want to invite you to one of our greatest trainings ever. It's how to build and grow a profitable solo or group practice sustainably. All you gotta do is check it out at zinimi.com slash podcast. All right, on to our episode.
1: Welcome to Starting a Counseling Practice podcast where we share success stories of therapists all around the world who are creating practices and going beyond the couch. And today we have an amazing beyond the couch story to share with you with the wonderful Laura Reagan. We have our um, two coaches from Zinni Me. I'm Miranda Palmer. And I'm Kelly Higdon.
0: It's not often that we're together, correct? but I'm excited to be together for this one. Laura, you were on our podcast Years ago, back when you had your solo practice, and a lot has happened since then. So, we were joking about how this is the evolution beyond the couch for Laura Reagan, and we're going to share her story. So, thanks for being here, Laura.
2: Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's so it's so cool because you know I was on your podcast before as a boot camp, you know, alumni or alumnus, and um, so much of what I've learned as a business owner and um how you can expand beyond just client work has been from y'all so
1: thanks and you you you've done amazing things so you have even since the last time we met went from solo to group practice you have a successful podcast And then you also have this trauma therapy network, this membership for trauma therapists. So we're going to be kind of unpacking the evolution of like how you get from one to the other, some of the lessons that you've learned along the way, things that you don't recommend. um, And also talking about like some of the things that you do recommend, some of the things that you did right, some of the things you would do differently if you were to to redo it. So let's go ahead and dig in. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about how you moved from solo to group. Why did you do that? And how did that go for you?
2: That's a great question. And, um, you know, it didn't go, it wasn't the easiest thing, Mm -hmm. but, um, I had been, when I started my practice, I was subletting one office in a larger space and after three years in that space, I just got so sick of it. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is not the furniture I want. This is not, I would set this up differently. That would be different. So, um, you're like, I'm living someone
1: else's practice right now. Yeah.
2: And I think I probably one thing I would do differently right there is I probably would have moved into my own space sooner, but I think I was too afraid that it would be like a big responsibility that I couldn't handle, or something, yeah, so um finally, the person who we were renting from me and the other therapists um said they were moving, and so had to get another space, and I looked all around, and it ended up that there was a space available right in the same building that I was in, so I was like, oh, this is perfect, and it was a waiting room and two offices, so I was like, Hmm, wait a second. Maybe I could sublet. That was what I originally thought, mm-hmm. you know, I'll, I'll do this and then I'll sublet the other space. But then I think a lot, a lot of control issues made me say, Oh, I don't know. I don't want a lot of different people coming through. And what if they, their clients mess stuff up and ah, uh, you know, whatever. And, um, someone started with me as a supervisee who I really liked. And I was like, wow, if i ever were to hire someone i would love to hire this person and um that's who became my first employee so Ooh. i um we just hit it off so well and i had that other office space so she just i was full she started taking the overflow clients that i had and um you know she was a new clinician provisionally licensed and when she so she was kind of learning and growing and honing what she wanted to do and, and what she really loved the most. Uh, so she started working with kids and adults, but then she was like, you know, I think the adults are more my thing. And so then I brought on someone else who I had worked with before who loved working with kids. And so before you know it, I had two employees. Um, yeah. So I think one of the things about that was like the, contractor versus W2 question. Yeah. I thought I'm going to do contractors. That'll be the easiest thing. You know, Mm -hmm. no sweat, no fuss. I don't have to figure out payroll taxes and stuff like that. And that was it. I was just afraid of payroll taxes, basically. Um, (laughs) When all I needed to do was just get a payroll service and it was (laughs) easy (laughs)
1: or something like that. Yeah.
2: It was totally easy. So uh, once I found out that, you know, if you're supervising people, you can't have them as contractors. You need to hire them as W-2. And I realized, oh, being W-2 gives them workers comp. It's better for them.
0: Yeah. So, it's, pro, it's, it's for the, the employee. It's pro employee for sure.
2: Yeah. And I want my employees to be happy and well taken care of. I don't want it to be like I'm benefiting and they're
1: not right i think this is the piece that when people talk about this 1099 versus w2 they think of it again as like oh the easy or the hard way versus the idea of a 1099 is that you're hiring another business to come into your business and most of the people we're hiring are not business owners they do not have a functioning business their their business is working for us that's right. the only piece of it and so it it creates these really weird dynamics that are that are really problematic that put us as at risk as employers. And then I think it also leaves the employees in this weird space where either they start to look at themselves as a business and say, why am I working with this employer? Or alternatively, they're thinking of themselves as an employee, but they're not being treated that, or they are being treated that way. Like it's, it just gets so funky and messy so quickly. And
0: because they aren't businesses, they don't fully understand really actually the tax implications on their end. And Mm -hmm. they're usually at a disadvantage and no one wants to build a business off of the oppression of other people. I don't want any of our clients to want that. I don't think you want that. And so I love though just acknowledging, like, I don't understand this. So I was trying to avoid it when it really was a simple, if you just lean in, there are tools and support. To help with
1: it. Yeah. I think, especially as a, as a business schooler, right. Cause you know, you can go in and we have the trainings on the 1099 versus W2 and how to set up payroll and all that kind of stuff. And so it gives a resource, but I think that a lot of times in Facebook groups, a lot of times at other places, we will, um, we will just say, Oh, here's how I did it whether it was right, whether it's worked for them or anything, it was easy. And then we kind of like create this dynamic where we keep replicating a broken system Mm -hmm. instead of saying like, actually, here's what the regulations say and here's what the law says. And if I'm here and I'm putting out my professional um, reputation and saying, hey, here's someone that I hired that I'm sending potential referrals to me to this person, do I want to be able to do oversight with them? Like, yeah. Do I want to make sure that things are actually being done? Yeah. If I'm, especially if you're an insurance based practice, you know, if they don't do their progress notes and you bill for that session, the insurance company comes back, guess who they're going to take the money from. It's not your contractor. They're not going to go find them. It's coming out of your pocket. So to really see this, not just as like a, Oh, Hey, this is a side gig this is a little something like, no, I'm starting a group practice. This is an evolution of my business. And I need to do some math (laughs) and I need to create some processes and I need to get some real um, information about what works for me legally. So how, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, so tell me about (laughs) the transitions we talked about. You've been still like seeing a caseload even today with a group practice what does your group practice look like today and what's your role in it and how is that shifting
2: well that's a great question so um and this is a don't do what I did part of the story but um currently I have four staff so it's never been a huge practice but it's private pay specialized practice focusing in relational trauma and grief and um i've always been the one who had the most clients you know i had like say 20 clients when i said i was full and brought them on and i kept 20 clients so this is what not to do there was a point in <laughs> i think it was in 2016 was when um I added my first two associates Um, and then there was a point in 2019 where I also brought in two interns. So we had the four staff, me and two interns. By then we had moved into a larger space still in the same building. And there was a moment of looking at my calendar and I was like, I have, I only want to work Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday because I need more time to decompress and for self-care on Monday and Friday and for admin work. And I've got seven people. I guess I had five employees at the time, five employees and the two uh, interns. So I was like, I have seven people that I'm responsible for. I'm providing one-on-one weekly supervision to each one, <laughs> which also I didn't have to do it that way, but that was the way I did it. Um, and so that's seven hours that I needed in my schedule to be available for that, but I didn't have that in my way that my week was set up. So I was constantly like, Oh, 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 how am I going to fit this? How am I going to fit that? I was just always feeling behind the eight ball.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I think like, I also had, and I know this happens to all of us. I had some personal things going on in my life. One of my parents got sick Mm
1: -hmm. in
2: 2019 at the same time when the interns started, of course. So it was like, you know, juggling my emotional life and reactions to what was happening, the physical needs of visiting an out-of-state ill parent, um, the practical concerns of like preparing for the end of their life, which ended up not happening. Um, fortunately, I guess, but it was, I mean, it was definitely fortunate, but it was, I mean, we didn't know it wasn't going to happen until it didn't happen. Um, so, and that's like one of those situations where you have, you get kind of overloaded in your personal life and you just sort of maybe throw yourself into work even more.
1: Well, we've been talking (laughs) about the burnout, um, burnout stuff. And I mean, what what specific of the four trauma things are we looking at here? Like we're right in the fawn and the people pleasing. I'm going to yeah. be here for everybody else. I'm going to make sure I'm not going to say no to clients. I'm not going to say no to employees. I'm not going to say right. no. I'm going to take on and just try to make sure everybody's okay. As your body was probably going in the shutdown mode, you know, physically and, yep. you know, all the pieces, right. This is where we end up with then we're getting ill all the time. Autoimmune conditions start to creep in like to, because we're not listening to our bodies. Yes. There we are.
2: Yes. And I actually, it was also in 2019 is when I started having like thyroid issues. It was earlier that year. So that was already like a beginning autoimmune reaction. Mm -hmm. Um, thankfully I think it was like early enough that we got it by cutting out gluten and dairy. Like I mentioned before we started recording, um, we got everything kind of fixed up with an integrative doctor, but, um, yeah. So, and that's that with burnout, I, I, think what you said about the people pleasing, it doesn't feel like you're pleasing anyone. It more feels like I have to do this. I'm falling short in every area you know that's how it shows up for me it's like i'm not doing enough i should be doing more i'm not doing enough i should be doing more and just like i can't take a day off no i can't cancel that no i can't you know i just remember sometimes my therapist being like it would be okay if you canceled your sessions today if you're not up to it and i'm like i can't and then it's like that's <laughs> that's exactly why you need to if you feel like you can't that's exactly why you need to and i'm like all right i did it <laughs> But you know, we don't put our own mental health first. I mean, we all know that. But Mm. um or we tend to not. Yeah, but we can and we should. Yeah. And we must.
0: And so now what is the practice? You're deciding to make some changes in your group practice now.
2: Yes. So now I'm down to like 15 clients a week. And um (laughs) but I, I know I had a, um, a real moment of clarity in February when my other parent had a very serious health issue. And I was like, I can't, I can't do this. I cannot do a weekly caseload as much as I love my work with my clients. And that's, it's so hard to let it go, but, um, I think the clarity I got was I have to, and feel free to interpret this through the lens of trauma, but it was like, I have to stop thinking that I'm waiting for like an outside factor to make me Mm -hmm. cut Mm -hmm. my caseload, take my caseload off my plate because I Mm had two podcasts the group practice, my own client caseload, a life. And then I started Trauma Therapist Network. And it's like, Laura, you, you know, there are literally aren't enough hours in the day. And so your health is going to go. It's like, am I going to let the, let this happen to me? Or am I going to say, I have to make a choice, even though I don't have to stop taking clients, working with clients now because I'm not. Terminally ill, mm-hmm. but
0: why do we have to wait for external <laughs> right? forces to force our hands? Exactly. Instead of giving ourselves what we need from the get go. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's that disempowerment and external locus of control. Like, and when you get to that really overwhelmed place, that's, you know, for me, again, that's how I can start to operate. So I was like, it was, it was really a weird shift for me to say, I, i am stopping my work with clients, not because I want to, mm-hmm. not because I have to, but because I know it's the right thing to do at this time. Mm-hmm. I can return to it later mm-hmm. when the timing is right, if that happens, but, um, you know, there's such a loss of identity. I mean, I love being a therapist. It's such a important part of who I am and how I see myself.
1: When I, when I moved to Seattle, it was, And, and I moved for my, my former spouse's work and we already had Zinni me um, going. And as a trauma therapist, I felt like this ethical place of like, I don't know how long I'm going to be in Washington state or in Seattle. And like, I do long-term work with clients. Like, is this ethical for me to start a practice while I'm here? But it was also, so I knew that I was making a decision that made the most sense for my family and for my clients and the kind of work that I did. And I don't, you know, again, just for me, I didn't like doing trauma work virtually at that point. Like it did not feel good to me. And it felt like such almost like a shame for a long time of what are people going to think? Like, I'm a trauma therapist. I talk about being a trauma therapist. Like, this is what I do. I've trained people and supervised people and all these kinds of, right? And people are no longer going to respect me or see me, or they're going to see that I sold out or all these things. And it took me literally years to finally like own and to see that the work that I'm doing today, I'm still a trauma therapist. I just do it in this weird little lens and this back doorway with therapists where I help them work through the trauma in this totally different, non psychotherapeutic way, but it has the outcome that I probably couldn't even get if I was doing weekly sessions with them because I'm changing the system that plays into the trauma from their past, right? So I'm shifting it and giving them a healthy, solid framework but it's taken years to like be able to see that and own it and to be able to say like i'm still a trauma therapist even though i don't have a caseload like it's okay
2: i know as a trauma therapist myself i and here i am in boston for this trauma trauma conference i i'm like janina fisher is like somebody who I look up to so much as a therapist and she doesn't have a current caseload. Does that mean she's not a, a trauma therapist? Heck no. She's amazing. So I'm no Janina Fisher and I'm not trying to say I am, but I, I was like, Janina Fisher's still a trauma therapist. So I could still be a trauma therapist too. But, yeah. and that's why like having other ways to serve is so yeah. important because on therapy chat, I talk about trauma all the time and I'm, I reach like 25,000 people a week. Like that's so many people I could never do that Mm one-on-one and with trauma therapist network, it's helping clients and therapists. And that feels really good and important, you know, because we all need, especially now, We all need as much support as we can get.
0: I'm kind of wondering how you, because I feel like therapy chat was before you even had a group practice, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. How did you land on the podcast and then moving into trauma network?
2: Well, it was actually a pretty natural progression because with therapy chat, you know, I interview therapists about how they work. And so it's always with a focus on trauma, but it's like, you know, what kind of, what group do you specialize in working with and what type of methods do you use specifically to give people? My thought is that the listener, and I was always thinking of general public as the listener originally, but it just ended up being mostly therapists, but, um, for the listener to be like, Oh, I didn't know therapy could be that way. Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't know about, you know, essential oils. I didn't know acupuncture could help with trauma. I didn't know, um, EMDR could be done with kids. I didn't know, you know, what is brain spotting? How does that work? All that stuff. And, um, so people, people started contacting me saying, you know, I want a therapist who does like what your guest on episode 175 was talking about. Do you know anyone you can recommend in my state? So I spent a lot of time looking for trauma therapists for, for the listeners who would contact me and I never could find, you know, really, I would look on the other trauma training directories and I would say, well, I don't know this person, but they're trained in this. And You know, that might be a good fit because you know that's what the guest was trained in, or I'm trained in that, or whatever. That could help you if that's what you're looking for. But um when you look on like one of the big directories like psychology today, you know, it's very general and people have 25 things (laughs) listed that they do. And when you get to the P, it's PTSD slash trauma. And so you're like. Hmm. Is PTSD and trauma just something they do, or is that like their specialty? Mm-hmm. And so what I originally thought I wanted to do was create a directory where people could search for trauma therapists and find out, you know, who do they work with? What's their style? What training do they have? You know, because there's trauma therapists who are doing CBT and there are trauma therapists who are doing EMDRs not the same experience at all. You know, there's art therapists and there's people who do sand tray and play therapy and, you know, prolonged exposure and CPT. There's just so many different ways that you can receive trauma therapy. And how would you know what you even wanted or what to look for? Yeah. So, you know, that's why I created it. And the directory aspect of it. And I wanted it to be like a really, really powerful directory that didn't like fall apart when, you know, people started joining. So, um, but that's, that's how the link between therapy chat and the directory started, which is trauma therapist network was going to be just a directory and a place where people could learn about trauma by listening to therapy chat and the other podcast trauma chat that I made for the general public to learn about trauma in little like bite-sized pieces. So, um, but then therapists were like, we're all full and the pandemic has made us all exhausted. And why do we need to join any directory for anything? So, you know, that was when it became clear that the thing that the, th- the trauma therapist needed some of them do need clients and that's great. And they can definitely, everyone could be in the directory, but um, many of them need support. They're very isolated. They've been isolated during the pandemic and even before, Mm -hmm. you know, and everybody's just worn down so much more that, you know, we needed support before we needed self-care and case consultation and everything. But um, I wanted a place where people could, Find community. So there's not a community for clients, but it's a community for therapists, a membership community. And for clients, what they find is the articles and the podcasts and a therapist if they're looking.
1: Yeah. I think that is, you know, whenever we have these ideas in our business or we have a pain point right? It's this place where sometimes we will be like, oh my gosh, I have this pain point. And like, I feel like it's the pain point everyone has. And so sometimes we'll invest thousands of hours, thousands of dollars into resolving that pain point only to find out like, oh, that's my pain point. It may not actually relate to the other people's pain point. And like for you, you had both pain points you're overworked, <laughs> you know, I'm not taking good care of yourself, kind of doing too many things with too little time. And one of the things you were like, well, I don't have enough time um, to find all of these therapist referrals. So I'm going to take the pain point, which is the time of, of making it easy to refer, easier to refer out. But realistically, right, where does that come from? A big piece of it was like, oh, I'm kind of in the thick of it. And I'm I'm in this space and I need to start to reconfigure my life a little bit. And so now hitting into like, oh, this pain point is really this disconnection. How can we come together as a community to support one another, to start to model what it's like to say no, to model what it's like to, you know, really live in our purpose, to start to figure out. You know, appropriate schedules or to be able to refer out all the things that we struggle with. And then to be able to say, like, oh, and now that I've got all these people in one place for this wonderful network, then it, there's a directory right there that's also going to make all our lives easier for referring people out. Like, yay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: I mean, it's really hard to make a business that is based on a product that's for two different audiences. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I wanted clients or anybody who is not considering therapy, even just who wants to understand trauma and understand how it affects them to be able to learn and, you know, just become, feel more empowered by, oh, I'm not messed up. This isn't weird. I, it's because of this that I've been through that I feel this way and it can get better. Um, but yeah, it's, it's hard to so another, not necessarily a don't, but just something to be aware of is that, you know, when you have two very different audiences that you're trying to market to, it's challenging, but in a weird way, that's how therapy chat is, is that it's both. So there's a lot of therapists and there's a lot of non-therapists. So it does fit together really well.
0: I think, too, it's an example of how growth in business is usually leveraged off of the current success right and the current you follow you follow where the path of least resistance in some ways like sometimes i see people wanting to start a podcast and totally pivot or they want to do a directory or a course but it kind of pivots and Mm -hmm. our argument is always why not go with what you're already doing and build off of that because it's already hard enough can you speak a little bit to the whole passive income behind the couch reality like beyond the couch reality of like I think when people hear this oh I'll do a podcast oh I'll start a directory or a course or a membership like what's been your experience of this passivity yeah (laughs) having basically multiple businesses
2: Right. So again, another thing not to do is, but I'll give myself a little compassion with this too. But I mean, I was, I had all of those things I was doing and I had a years ago, another moment of clarity where I was like, I had four jobs. No wonder I'm so stressed out Four businesses. What, mm-hmm. um, but, um, it's not passive, <laughs> It takes a lot of work, but it's also like the fact that I had those four things is why I'm able to now do what I'm doing to make this shift. So in a way where I'm shifting is a culmination of all this hard work that I've been doing. And that's my new compassionate perspective. But
0: I think people just look at the end and they don't realize the upfront cost emotionally, energetically, and financially. and financially that you've put into that so that you can get to that place. It's not, I have a course and that will be passive. Yes. In a few years, maybe it will be, or, right. you know, right. it takes time.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think when I think of passive income now, or multiple income streams as other people also call it is, um, it's so that, you can receive the income from a passive source later. Like you put, you have to put in a ton of work. I mean, I started, um, I came up with this idea in 2019 um, before everything went crazy in my Mm -hmm. life. But um, and then with the pandemic, I was like, okay, for one thing, I don't want to rely on just therapy as my only source of income because the pandemic made me see that things can change. You don't, things don't always stay the way they are. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but I started working with the web designer and developer like February of 2021 and it was the website went live in August. And that was literally, my husband has said this a thousand times, like 16 hour days all the way from February through Mm -hmm. August. And then all the way from August through maybe March of this year, just, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's, you build it, that's just getting it to exist. That's just like, that's the gestation of the birth, you know, before birth, huh? um, that's pregnancy. And and then, yeah. <laughs> then you have a newborn you have to take care of. And you're like, what the hell? And <laughs> with that still doing all my other jobs too, you know? So, I mean, I had to accept help. I had to, there was a, there were, were, and are many leaps of faith. Mm. Like I'm taking a leap of faith that I can, stop seeing clients and still, you know, that, the that income will be replaced in some other way. Um, I'm taking a leap of faith that if I focus more on trauma therapist network and not so much on my own client caseload, that it will grow, you know, because I know I can already see it's easy to see the obvious, well, I can't work in this as much as I need to. So it's not going to be able to grow the way I want it to. And if it doesn't grow, then I'm not serving the people that I want to serve. And I really could serve so many people through this. I mean, when you think about the exponential effect of all those therapists who get more support and then do better work and all those people who find client, you know, all those people who find therapists Mm -hmm. and get started in their healing process and, you know, how it impacts their families and future generations. I mean, it's super inspiring to me
1: yeah
2: yeah but the scary part is that's not all happening yet so until it's happening you don't you have a vision but it's like i hope it works you know <laughs> <laughs>
0: but the has that come from somewhere right and i think you know same i mean that happened with me with having my practice and selling it and then fully committing to zini me or you know, mm-hmm. even within Zinni Me when we have. I mean, we were went for a walk yesterday on the beach and I'm like, we could do this and this and this. And then we're like, but we're on the precipice of really solidifying consistency in some other areas first. And while it's kind of boring in some ways and we'd love to create new things, if we give our energy here, that's going to exponentially change things compared to if we move to another thing. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, it's a lot of wisdom and that kind of tapping into your internal compass, knowing this is as far as it'll go until I dive in more with it, yeah. you know, until I show I think of businesses like relationships, you know, until I show my commitment that mm-hmm. business is not going to give back to me and so recognizing, hey, this group practice it generates income. I have, you know, now we've got that solidified. Now we need to give to this area so that it really can flourish because it won't flourish the same with me part time or kind of half assing it. So it just, yeah, it's like yeah. you're
2: diluting your yeah. ability to have impact because you're spread too thin. And
1: too I mean,
2: that's thin. been my story for a while.
1: And I think I, I see this a lot with group practice owners, and I don't know if this resonates this part of your story is if you don't do the math before you get started you can end up with a group practice that only makes money if you see a full (laughs) caseload, which means it's not really a group practice. It's just this business that has a bigger office space and they're just paying for the bigger office space. And you're sort of in this space. Like I see therapists all the time where, again, the math is such that, oh, I could really, I'm not making any more than I was when I was seeing a full caseload. I bring in more money. Like mm-hmm. the gross income looks great, but in terms of the profitability, my profitability hasn't made a big shift in change. Yeah. And I think there's, there's a way in the middle where it's not that we're taking advantage of people, but where we're really honoring our time and investment to make sure that the investment of time and energy and all the space that I put into those individuals that I'm serving, that they're, that I'm getting paid for that time. Because just like if you were to hire an external clinical supervisor or an external office manager, and they would want an income for that, you're basically not paying yourself the same way that you would pay another person. You're, you're, you're kind of like expecting yourself to be an office manager for free, expecting yourself to be a clinical supervisor for free. If, you, if your group practice is such that the task that you're doing, if you can't hire them out and still be profitable... Then something's wrong with the base of that.
2: Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. You've got a fundamental flaw in your design of your business that way.
0: Yeah. I think something I've always appreciated about you is it's, I've always known like Laura is the trauma person. (laughs) Like, and that is throughout like your passion has been displayed in every step of the way your solo practice the group practice I remember back when you were supervising and that was an like that was a real deep desire of yours is to bring up other clinicians that were really competent with trauma and then doing this now with this network I mean, it's so cool to have watched over the years, that growth and development and how staying true to yourself has really manifested like some beautiful things. You've always been you, Laura. And I think like seeing how that is coming back to reward you
1: is beautiful. Yeah. Tell us about the Trauma Therapist Network, because I bet there's some people listening to this that would love to be a part of that. What does that look like right now? What's its current iteration?
2: Okay. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Well, um, so as of right now, it has a small membership of about 105 therapists um, who are all the founding members and actually registration is going to be opening up again in July. So right now registration is on a wait list. So I don't know, I think depending on when this airs, people might be able to sign up for the waiting list or registration might be open. But um, as of now, and it might get more what is offered when when registration reopens, but uh, as of now, we have four weekly calls a month that um, there's an hour-long self-care call, and it's usually very experiential. So I always invite members to, <clears throat> excuse me, to share experiential practices that they use for self-care. So we do a lot of like energy work and movement and breath and, um, guided meditations and different things like that. Um, expressive arts, but then we have, so that's a, an hour, all the calls are an hour, but sometimes we have extended ones. There's a case consultation call every month. And there's a, uh, Q and a call, which kind of, sometimes it's like a practice building guest. Sometimes it's a, you know, a guest about something else. This has only been going on for three months, but so we're co-creating this as Mm -hmm. a, as a membership community. And then the fourth one is training and the training calls are an hour a month on a topic related to trauma. Um, I'm working on getting CEUs. And one of the things that I haven't really been able to do is that very lengthy application <laughs> process that, you know, it's like, yeah. just put three days into it. I'm like, okay, if I can <laughs> find three days. Um, so we,
1: we might be able to give you a suggestion on, on an option for that. But yeah. I think I ask us I'd later.
2: Love to pick yeah, your brain that. about that. If you're willing to share any ideas. We'll you
1: know. Yeah. We can connect you with someone that might be able to help you. Oh, so if someone's interested in joining where would they go so
2: it's www.traumatherapistnetwork.com and um right now you would click on sign up to be listed as a therapist right now there's a waiting list page and it'll be updated when the registration reopens
1: nice awesome Ah,
0: so exciting congrats Laura thanks so proud of you seriously, to have grown in this way and to continue to keep putting yourself out there in new ways and those leaps of faith, they will pay off.
2: Well, thank you. And I, I have to say thank you back to you too as well. Not just with what I learned in boot camp, but the community and seeing all the inspiring things that everybody else who was in the community was doing at the time when I first did it. I mean, mm-hmm. I was like I didn't know you could do that. You know, about so many different things people were doing. So um that's where community really you know, it's like they say the whole is more than the sum of its parts is like what we are as a community is greater than any individual can be and so that was definitely has been true for me with boot camp and the community that y'all have created. Mm-hmm. And so in addition to the wonderful learning of the course.
1: so glad. <clears throat> thank you. Thank you. Well, you heard it here first, go and check out traumatherapistnetwork.com. If you need more resources to expand, launch, or revamp your solo group practice, go to zinime.com forward slash free. We've got amazing resources and free trainings available for you, including some CEs, which is super awesome. And we'll help Laura figure out how to do that for her trauma therapist network as well. (laughs) Until next time, y'all. This is Kelly. Bye.
0: I hope you loved today's episode. If you're a therapist who's tired of those long hours, low pay and constantly battling burnout, don't forget our free video training designed just for you on how to build and grow a sustainable, profitable solo or group practice. Head over to zinni.me.com slash podcast to check it out today. Until next time.